0: Amen. You may be seated. So as I said at the uh, start of the service this morning, uh, we are in the final week of this series called the Advent Conspiracy. Advent is a word that means arrival. It's a time when we as Christians really think about what does it mean to be a people who are waiting for Christ's second coming. The time when he will come again to make all things new. And so we we really wrestle with what does it look like to live differently in light of that good news. And so as we come to the end of the series and as we are continuing to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christmas, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads with me and let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together in this space as your Advent people, that we might learn what it means to live life differently. And so, Lord, we pray that as we meditate on your word, you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So um, as we've been moving through the Advent conspiracy, we've been asking ourselves, what does it look like to live differently? And we've been using four themes as we've moved through it. We've been using the themes of worship fully. What does it mean to worship God with our whole lives? Uh, Secondly, it's uh, spending less, specifically spending less on ourselves so that we can then, number three, give more, give more away to those in need. And finally, this weekend, uh, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to love all? Now, if I were to ask uh, people, which of these is the most countercultural one to do? Well, what's the most countercultural of these four themes? I think most people, Christians included, would say, well, the spending less and giving more. Because there's so much pressure actually at this season to spend more. Uh, to actually spend more on ourselves and our family members and our friends. Why? Because there's all this expectation, right? You got to show up at the office Christmas party with a dish. You got to show up at the family Christmas party with a white elephant gift. You better show up on Christmas Day with the presents for the kids. I mean, like we're always having to show up, bring, spend, having spent more. And so this idea of spending less so that we can give more away to those in need. Many people would say that's the really countercultural thing. Worshiping fully, yeah. that mean, a, you know. Christians do that. People, people need to worship. Loving all, everybody should love all, right? It's Christmas. That's what we do. But ban, the the spending less, giving more. That's just such a challenge. But I would argue that actually the most countercultural of these four is the one that we're talking about this morning. This idea of loving all. Because I think that while you would ask most people, like, you know, should we be loving? Everybody would say, yeah, like, of course, everybody should be more loving. But the reality is, is that when it comes to actually putting that into practice, truly loving everyone, I think that that's something that everybody struggles with. And even more so when we consider the last two years that we've been through as a society. In fact, there was a study done in 2019, it was called Civility in America, Solutions for Tomorrow. And it was this massive research study that was done asking Americans how they feel we're doing as a a society when it comes to kindness and and basic civility. And this is what they found in their research. They found that 93% of Americans believe incivility is on the rise. 93%! of Americans think that we are actually becoming less kind when it comes to relating to our neighbors. Furthermore, 68% of them believe that this is actually a major threat to our society, that we are so divided, we are so uncivil, we are so unkind, that it's actually leaving us less and less equipped to face the challenges that are coming at us as a society. They don't believe that we're going to be able to survive unless we can, we can figure out how to change the equation when it comes to basic civility and human kindness. Now, lest we think that that's just a problem out in the wider culture, the reality is, is that this is a challenge that we've seen inside the church as well. In fact, Barna, in 2021, was doing some research in which they were polling pastors, the leaders of Christian communities, and this is what they found. They found 51% of pastors in mainline denominations are thinking of quitting at the end of 2021. Over half the pastors in mainline denominations are thinking of quitting at the end of 2021. gets even scarier when you look at the numbers based on age. That number is actually higher among those under the age of 45. The next generation of pastors don't want to pastor. Now, I'm 37, and I'm not going anywhere, so sorry if that was your Christmas prayer. <laughs> but, but here's why that stands out to me. The, the, the reason why that this, this, this hit me so hard is, think about that, the next generation of pastors don't want to lead their churches. And if that's the indication of where the leaders are, what does that say about the state of the church in America today? In fact, as Barna drilled down and I was actually asking the respondents why they think that is, one respondent said this. He said, last year, talking about 2020, last year people felt displaced, inconvenienced, disagreeable, but there was some tolerance. Now it seems like people are just angry. Everything is politicized and grace does not abound. The reason why pastors want to quit is because their churches have become uncivil places have become unkind places, have become unloving places. Places where we no longer have construction on everything. Places where we no longer give one another the benefit of the doubt. Places where we no longer show love to one another in the way that Jesus calls us to. Which is why I think that the calling of this weekend to love all is truly the most countercultural of those four values and it's the one that we most desperately need i think it actually becomes easier to spend less on ourselves and more uh, to and, and give away more to others if we truly could understand what it means to love the way jesus loves which is why i think our passage for this morning was so important because it helps us understand what actually has to happen within our hearts for us to become the kind of loving people that jesus calls us to be And it focuses us specifically on uh, a couple of characters within the the Christmas story. Uh, And and these characters are the ones that we actually see uh, in this uh, picture up here. And specifically, what I want to focus on uh, today is I want to focus on the shepherds. Now, I think that we've actually become kind of numb to just how radical it was that shepherds were there uh, to greet the the newborn king Uh, because we've gotten kind of used to it. I mean, when we make a nativity scene, right, when we set up our mangers, you have to have the shepherds. I mean, of course you're going to have the shepherds, right? Like, they're always there. Like, we just expect that that that, that was just a logical conclusion, that shepherds would show up to greet the Messiah, right? And we set them up, and although they may have looked like they've been in the sun a little bit, they've got really nice, clean-looking robes, and they show up with flutes and, and harps, and they bring the stuffed animals, right, you know, give the baby a little lamb, right? It's cute. That's what they do. But if you were a first century reader, that would have been absolutely shocking. The last people you expected to show up to greet a king would have been shepherds. And the reason why is because shepherds in the first century were a pretty rough and tumble bunch. They were actually the outcasts in that society. You see, in ancient Near Eastern society, the way you survived was by being a part of a community. You were very, very tied to the land. Uh, You depended upon your neighbors and your extended family in order to survive. You worked together on things like the harvest and your crafts and your trades. and, And that's how you made a living, but not with shepherds. Shepherds, the reason they became shepherds is because they didn't have families. Because they didn't have a wider community to care for them or for them to care for. But oftentimes, by the time you hit the first century, most people who've become shepherds have become shepherds as a last resort. They have no other place to belong. And so they live on the edge of society. They live on the edge of community. It gets even more stark when you realize that by the very nature of their profession, they were considered ceremonially unclean in a highly religious society. Because they lived out underneath the rain and in the dirt, because they were constantly dealing with wounded and bloody animals and so on and so forth, they were considered unclean. That meant that they couldn't go to the temple to offer sacrifice, that they weren't welcome in synagogues at times of prayer. So not only are they in the outsides of of, uh, social uh, gatherings, they're on the outside of religious gatherings. They're not welcome in, in religious community. Furthermore, because they're outcasts, they must have done something wrong. That would at least have been the assumption. And so they weren't welcome in polite religious society. Now here's the real irony when you stop and think about it. We're told, according to Luke's Gospel, that there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flocks by night. This is in the hillside around Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem was very, very close to Jerusalem. You could probably walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem in just a couple hours. And there was actually a rabbinic law in those days that said if any animal that was found uh, living in the fields between Bethlehem and Jerusalem must automatically be considered as a sacrifice for the temple. Why? Well, because the flocks that were being tended surrounding Jerusalem most likely belonged to the temple. They were there to be brought into the temple courts to be sold as sacrifices to the people who were coming there on pilgrimage. Which means that these shepherds are watching over the flocks that would provide the sacrifices that they themselves were not welcome to celebrate in. The hypocrisy of that religious statement, the hypocrisy of that very system, would have been totally demoralizing and disenfranchising to shepherds. I could imagine shepherds being on the outskirts just trying to scrape a living, knowing that they were abandoned not only by their society, but according to the leaders, they were abandoned by their God. And so to have shepherds show up, to welcome a king, no. You don't invite these guys. And you certainly don't invite them to the baby shower. Okay, you do not want to trust whatever stuffed animal they're bringing. Totally unreliable. These are outcasts. And yet, what Luke dares to tell us Is that on that night, as they watched over those flocks, something incredible happened? We read the following in his account It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. These outcasts, these unwelcome ones, suddenly become the very first to hear the good news of God's love. The very first who are sent before the wise men, before the disciples, before anyone beheld God-made flesh, these guys are told the good news. They are welcomed in. And what I find so beautiful about the way that they're welcomed in is the sign that God gives them. He tells them, you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And suddenly we realize why the shepherds suddenly were filled with such incredible joy. Because they saw in that child the God, just the, the length that God's love was willing to go for them. That he was willing to leave his throne in heaven and not just come down, here to become human, but to become one of the very lowest of human beings. That these shepherds, who themselves were outcasts, see in the face of their God a God who's willing to become an outcast, one who doesn't have a home, one who's willing to enter into the darkness and into poverty for them. One for whom every door was closed when his parents were looking for a safe place to have their child. One who was put out in a stable and laid in a feeding trough. That's how far his love was willing to go. What they saw when they went there and they beheld their king was not a God wrapped in fine clothes with a gold crown upon his head. No, they saw a God who was willing to reach down to the very lowest of people and to embrace them as his own. They saw in the face of Jesus a God who loved them. A God who was not afraid of outcasts. A God who didn't hold at arm's length those that the rest of society said were not welcome in. And this is a theme that we see that runs throughout the entirety of Jesus' life, that he was willing to touch lepers and heal them, that he sat down at tables to eat with tax collectors and sinners, that when he saw the woman caught in adultery, he told her that he did not condemn her the one who routinely called outcasts to follow him, who made humble uh, humble fishermen a part of his inner circle of friends, and who ultimately would go to a cross and die for the very people who put him there, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's who our God is. That's how far his love is willing to go. And the shepherds are told, you get to see it. First, because he loves you. And this is good news of great joy, and it is for all people. From the lowest of men to the highest of kings. God says, you are mine, you are precious to me, and you are welcome in my presence. And what's so beautiful is that that God who proclaimed good news... To these outcasts is a God who's still doing it today. Because those outcasts, when they heard that good news, immediately went out and they shared it. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They told everybody that they met that they had seen the Savior. And from them on down to us, those who are loved by Christ are called to give and to share that love with others. It's out of knowing that we're loved, that we love it's as Jesus said. This new command I give to you: love one another as I have loved you. As John wrote, we love because he first loved us. It all overflows when we know we're welcomed in by the God who's willing to associate with the outcasts. It's as we live out that mission together, we see lives transformed. That's part of the reason why, as we've gone through this Advent Conspiracy, we've been partnering with this organization called Collective Chicago, which takes men who are living on the streets, outcasts who are homeless, and welcomes them in to a community. doesn't just give them a handout or provide them with a bed for a night, but actually gives them a home and a family. One where Jesus is at the center, so that they can experience the transforming love that God has for all people. And this morning, I want you to hear one more story from Collective Chicago. It's actually the story of a man named Jason. He is a a member of the board of Collective Chicago. And he knows just what a difference it makes. When the God of heaven comes down and welcomes outcasts in. I want you to listen to his story.
1: It was just crazy time. Like I literally lost my mind. I probably had a mental breakdown at the age of 17. Uh, I'm born and raised here in the north side of Chicago. That was in 81, so um, biracial. My dad's black, my mom's white. So as you can imagine, in 1972, that probably wasn't a popular decision. We were homeless several times, lived in different shelters throughout the city. And then when my mom, when I was 12 years old, my mom ran away, didn't hear from her until like last year. And so that was like the straw that broke me. Um, That was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done being mature, I'm done (laughs) following rules. I don't have a mom, I don't have a dad. So, for myself, it's like uh, gang life became something that I got attracted to and uh, went to county jail on my 17th birthday. All my rebellion, all my authority issues blew up in that moment. Like, I'm like, I don't want to do your therapy. Don't even talk to me. First three years, 125 tickets, uh, three fights, multiple uh, nine trips to SAG. It was just crazy time. Like, I literally lost my mind. I was there from June 1st of 98 when I was 17 till February uh, 7th of last year. What got you through? It actually started with education. Uh, I got my GED, that changed dynamics in my head. I stopped telling myself I was dumb and it flipped to, okay, I could go for college now. I got GD. God has moved heavens and earths for me just when things didn't look promising. It's like He has been there. Now I have an apartment that I can pay for on my own. I haven't left that church since. It's like it's, it's become my family, like more family than I have in actuality.
0: that line from his story God moved heaven and earth for me the same God who tore open the heavens to pronounce good news to shepherds is still moving heaven and earth to bring good news to outcasts but the way he does it is through his people the way he does it is through outcasts who know what it's like to be welcomed in way well, he does it is through us. Those of us who are called by the name of Jesus have an opportunity like the shepherds to bring good news to those who so desperately need to hear it. That's what it means to love all. That's why we've been participating with Collective Chicago throughout this Advent conspiracy, because we believe that love and and loving others the way that we've been loved by God is, is something that we can't just muster up in ourselves. It's a gift that we're given that we have to put on every single day. But as we do so... God brings light where there was darkness. He brings life when there was death. He breaks through hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh as we participate with Him in the work that He's doing of bringing hope to those who so desperately need to hear it. Makes me think of the words of the Apostle Paul writing in Colossians chapter 3. He says this to us, For those who want to know what is our calling as God's people. He says this. We are called by Jesus' name. We are called to be a people who love just as he first loved us. Something that we put on and it's a gift that we give. And in a few moments we're going to have an opportunity to respond to that gift of love in some very, very practical, very, very tangible ways in terms of how we join with Collective Chicago. But before we do and before we pray, I think it's an opportunity to remind ourselves that that's not just a one-time thing. It's something we're called to live out every single day of our lives as Advent people. To ask ourselves the questions where have doors that have been shut need to be reopened? Where are relationships that have been broken need to be mended? Where are, the out, where are there outcasts who need to be welcomed in? Because that's what we're supposed to be all about. That's what Jesus came into the world to do. And that's how he commissions us now as his people who've received that grace and that love and that mercy to become people who give it. People who give the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of the God who first loved us. And so with that in mind, I invite you to pray. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you came into this world not to call the very, very best, but to call the lowest and the outcast. That that's what you meant when you said, "Truly, this is good news for all people. And that means us too. That we're welcomed in. And so Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it looks like to truly love all the way that you have loved us to do so in word and deed so that wherever we go, as we encounter the people around us, they may ultimately meet you through the good news that we get to proclaim each and every day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.